Welcome, welcome, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode four of the Rambling Brews podcast. I am your host, Tim, and I'm so incredibly stoked for today's episode. We've got a lot to talk about. I've got an outstanding interview with my good buddy, Troy. We're talking about grilling. We're talking about smoking meats. We're talking about different tips and tricks on how to get into smoking and how to get better at it. We're talking about different kinds of beers that are our favorites. We're trying new beers. So we got an additional beer that we're trying like we did last week uh, with a new rating. Uh, We're talking about the top five country artists of all time, in our opinion, and we're debating that a little bit. And we're also talking about college basketball. And spoiler alert, my buddy Troy with some breaking news in that segment, so can't wait for you guys to hear that. There's also been a lot of movement in the National Hockey League, a lot of stories going around. We're going to dive right into that. We're going to dive into the NFL. The Super Bowl is set. Um, and, And the unthinkable has happened. The unthinkable has happened. I have started and finished the entire Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring movie. Um, and we'll be having my, my review here in a little bit. But first, we got to talk about the big trade in the NHL. I've been talking ad nauseum this, uh, for the last couple episodes about Pierre-Luc Dubois and his desire to be mo- removed from the Columbus Blue Jackets and moved on to a different team. He's looking for a change of scenery. It's been reported that he had some uh, issues with John Tortorella, uh, although he's since denied those. But, I mean, what is he supposed to say? He's going to come out. He doesn't want to cause any rifts. He's already been traded. So what's the point of, of talking about it now? Uh, but Pierre-Luc Dubois did get his wish. He has been traded to the Winnipeg Jets. Not exactly, I think, his ideal team that he wanted to go to. But I think all in all, he was really just trying to get out of Columbus. He's got two years left on his contract. At that point, I believe he'll be an unrestricted free agent. He could uh, go sign wherever he wants. Like I mentioned on previous episodes, it's rumored that he is interested in Montreal. Um, So it it could very well end up that he goes there. And coming back to uh, Columbus is... Jack Roslovic, the, the player I mentioned last episode that uh, the Penguins were actually tied to, and he said he would never play for Winnipeg. He's actually been sitting at home. Um, he lives in Columbus. He's from Columbus, so that's interesting. He's going to play for his hometown team, but he's been sitting at home all year. He wouldn't sign his RFA qualifying offer uh, from the team as they have control over his contract as he's a restricted free agent. So he's getting he got traded in the, into Columbus, and he actually signed an extension there. And the big superstar piece of this is Patrick Laine. Patrick Laine, one of the most prolific goal scorers in the National Hockey League, uh, could easily get you 30 goals a year. But it, something about him is just off sometimes. I think it might have been with with uh, the fit in Winnipeg, and um, you know, because he would have. There was at one point in his career a couple years ago. I think he had 12 or 13 goals in the month of November, on pace for 50 some in the season, and then he had five or six goals the rest of the season and really fell off. And um, so he he's kind of a hit or miss player. There's some attitude questions there. Uh, but he gets traded to Columbus, and um, he's got one year. He's on his last year, but he's still restricted. So he'll be a restricted free agent this summer, and Columbus will be able to have control over his contract. I know they've already started uh, their general manager in Columbus, Yarmo Kekalainen. He has already mentioned that they're working with Patrick Laine's, uh agents and his people to kind of get a contract extension started or at least get the talks going, and that's interesting to me. Um, you haven't seen the guy play in your system. To me, he doesn't really scream like he'll fit in the John Tortorella system. Uh, John Tortorella being the coach that typically runs off superstar-type players. Uh, he likes the, the players that are hard to play against. Maybe they're a third, fourth-line talent, but they they work hard. They work as a unit. They work as a team. And the superstars that typically are just trying to score and score 30, 40 goals a year and maybe a little bit lackluster on the defensive side of the puck uh, typically don't do well with John Tortorella. But I think with a player like this, uh, at 22 years old, with the prolific scoring ability that he has, I, I would honestly say I think the Blue Jackets are probably can John Tortorella before they let um, Patrick Laine leave uh, or trade him if he does want to stay. So 
One interesting note about this trade is in 2016, uh, both of these guys were drafted, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Patrick Laine, the two main pieces in the trade. Uh, Patrick Laine was taken number second overall, right behind Austin Matthews, who Austin Matthews went to the Maple Leafs. Um, many people were saying that when Patrick Laine came into the league, uh, he was the second coming of Alex Ovechkin. I think initially he started that way. He's a pure goal scorer, one of the best shots, if not the best shot in the league. Uh, but he just hasn't hasn't quite been able to keep the consistency level, as I mentioned previously. And Pierre-Luc Dubois actually was taken third, right behind Patrick Laine. So it's pretty crazy that uh, a few years removed from that draft, uh, two players, uh, you know, Laine being a generational talent, um, and, and Dubois potentially being one with an outstanding uh, upside, get traded from their teams shortly after they, they're drafted. That doesn't really happen very often that teams kind of either give up on a player or a player gives up on the organization. I think you're starting to see that a lot more now where players have more control where they want to go. Um, whereas in, in past years, that really hasn't been the case. You've kind of just had to play out your contract and deal with it. Um, and I did see today that there were some rumblings over the years that Patrick Laine up in Winnipeg had some problems with his teammates, um, whether it be from, you know, just how they were treated, how they were treating him. Um, he claims a little bit of mistreatment. I read some quotes from an interview in a Finnish newspaper, what basically said that uh, Laine wanted out of the Winnipeg organization because of mistreatment by star players Mark Shifley, Captain Blake Wheeler, and the coach Paul Maurice. Um, now, granted, this is a Finnish publication that um, published this interview, so there could be some translation issues. Um, but the public publication went on to say from inside sources that Patrick Laine was mistreated by forwards Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, and Paul Maurice was too weak to defy them, Paul Maurice being the coach. Uh, quote, Wheeler felt his position on the right side of the number one chain was threatened because Laine was not an originally a right winger. Wheeler was also not enthusiastic that a young man from Finland would become almost as popular in Winnipeg as Timu Solani. It seems like um, off the ice, too, they mentioned that these guys and some of the other teammates made it hard on Patrick Laine, and we're talking behind his back. You know, he should have been up on the, the first or second line, I and mean, he's that type of player. He's so prolific. And when he was up there, he was producing. So it seems like there was a little bit of backstabbing going on. I'm not really sure why. And at first when I read it, I was like, I don't know, man. This this seems like maybe he's just kind of bitching to to uh, some Finnish reporters and didn't think it would ever get back to the States um, or get back to Canada, I should say. But, I mean, in this in this day and age, everything gets back. Uh, I think maybe there was a, a point to it because it, there's been quotes from Line A in the past where he's basically saying in the offseason, like, I don't know why I'm not playing top two. I got, you know, he's basically saying like, I have jabronis on my line is why it's, it's hurting me. I'm playing third and fourth line. I can't play with the top guys. So it seems like they may have a little bit of a culture problem up there in Winnipeg. Cause I know, I don't know the specific details, but I know Evander Kane, um, when he played up in Winnipeg, he had some issues up there too, with the teammates and mistreatment from the organization and coaches and things like that. So they got to get that worked out because it's not every day you want top tier talent. Uh, leaving your organization. So, um, you know, hey, I hope it works out for them. Winnipeg retained 26% of the salary on Patrick Laine's deal for this year, so the salaries will match up between Dubois and Laine. Uh, Columbus adds a little bit of salary. I think uh, Roslovic, Jack Roslovic signed, I, I believe, for about $2 million a year. So we'll see how it pans out. I mean, I think it'll be interesting because Winnipeg, they lost their best winger by far, and Columbus lost their best centerman by far. So now you have Patrick Laine, who's a winger. So for those who don't know too much about hockey, uh, the, the center's responsibility, is, the center's probably, outside of the goalie, is the most important position in the game, probably by far. Um, usually good wingers need um, a good centerman to be able to get them the puck and to, 
to distribute, and then the winger's job really is to just score the uh, score and and get open, uh, find soft areas in the coverage, and get open for for passes from the centerman. Just from a general perspective of hockey. Uh, so when you take line A and you take them off a team that has top tier centers like uh, Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley, top top tier in the league, not just on the team. I mean, they're some of the best players in the league, and you put them on Columbus, you know. He might not have that center power that's going to get him the get him the puck. So you might have to do more and create more um, on his own. And same with Pierre Luc Dubois. He moves over to Winnipeg. He's a top uh, top tier centerman as well. But I mean, there's only so many spots on those top two lines for centermen. So maybe they move a move a guy to wing, or they move Dubois to wing. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see uh, how that plays out. So um, you know, I got to crack a Coors Light too. I can't believe I forgot to do that. There we go. And sticking around the NHL, there's actually a crazy story about the Washington Capitals. So for their top players, um, Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Dmitry Orlov, uh, Orlov being a defenseman, uh, Kuznetsov being a centerman, everybody knows who Ovechkin is, and Ilya Samsonov, their starting goalie, they were actually, apparently they were in a hotel room on the road um, I think this actually occurred in Pittsburgh because when this came out, they were on a, a four-day trip to Pittsburgh where they played two games in four days. And uh, I guess they were busted in their own hotel room just hanging out, the four of them. And I guess that goes against COVID protocol, which to me doesn't really make any sense. I know the NHLPA, the Players Association, and the National Hockey League agreed as part of this, um, I guess, return to play during the COVID uh, pandemic that they would only be able to hang out in the locker room. They'd only be able to hang out on like team planes and team organized events and things like that on the bus. But to me, it seems kind of odd. I mean, these guys sit right next to each other on the bench. They potentially could be drinking the same water bottles. I don't know how the water bottle protocol is, but I mean, you're sitting right next to each other. You're on the team plane. You're on team buses. Um, you're eating together. And so it seems a bit odd that they would be punished uh, by the league for uh, you know, hanging out in their own hotel room. It's pretty crazy because it, it's not that they got suspended, but they got put in the COVID protocol. So those four players will miss four games for the Washington Capitals, which in a short season, you know, if they could, if they lose those games, um, it could really hurt you. I mean, you don't think it would in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, in a, in a shorter season, anything could happen. So you don't want to be giving up points, especially when every game is in division. So every game you lose or every game you, you know, go to overtime and lose, or even if you go to overtime and win, you're giving your division opponents points that you really don't want to be giving them. So I don't want to start any rumors here on the Rambling Brews podcast, but I think there might be more to this story. Uh, I'm not really sure that the league would, would find the Washington Capitals organization hundred grand, and then put these four guys on the COVID protocol list where they'd have to miss um, they'd have to miss four games if there wasn't something else going on. I think maybe, you know, maybe they had some guests in their hotel room. I'm not really sure. I don't want to, again, I don't want to speculate. Um, I've seen that going around the internet a little bit. Um, so, you know, that's very possible that that happened. Uh, and I did see Ovechkin's wife, uh, wasn't very pleased with the, <laughs> the, uh, I guess her husband being put on the COVID protocol list along with those other guys and having to miss those games and, and kind of being, um, sewered in the media a little bit. So, she came out and basically said, like, this is stupid. The same thing that I said. I mean, they're on the bench together. They're hanging out together. They're in the locker rooms together uh, on the team plane, all this stuff, but they can't hang out in the hotel. She mentioned that um, Ovechkin actually has the antibodies. He had the COVID. Um, he had COVID-19 before the season even started, which I didn't know. Um, so that's pretty interesting. I mean, 
it's a lot to it's a lot to take in, and I could see why some Washington Capitals fans, and I think even me being a Pittsburgh Penguins uh, hardcore fan that typically hates the Washington Capitals, I think it's just a stupid rule. I mean, it doesn't make sense. But hey, if the protocol is the protocol, if that's what they agreed to, they got to do it by the book. Then, you know, whatever the Capitals players should be uh, should be more aware of that. And as Brad Marchand said for the Bruins, he came out and said like, hey, the Capitals players basically are dumb. They know the they know the rules, and it, it's not hard to just follow the rules. So. Um, you know, we'll see what we'll see what comes of that. If there's any appeal or anything like that, I mean, I doubt it because it's only four games and it's kind of pretty much set in stone that this is the protocol. So, um, you know, I'd love to hear some feedback on, on Twitter at Rambling Brews um, or just reaching out to me to see what your your thoughts are on it because I'm interested to see what everybody's take is on it. Uh, and uh, sticking with some other notes around the league, I don't know if everybody knows this, but for some reason the NHL thinks that the fans actually want to see like how fast the shots go in real time or how fast the players are skating and um, stuff like that. So they have these little chips in the puck, like a little microchip in the puck um, so they can do this advanced tracking and they can show it on the screen uh, during the game. They can say, Oh yeah, this guy shot at 94 miles per hour, um, stuff like that. So it's like real time stats that they can show on the broadcast, which I guess is kind of a cool idea. Uh, But the problem is some players, mainly Austin Matthews, superstar in the league, uh, Jason Spetz has been in the league for 20 years, um, and some other players, you know, goaltenders from every position, basically have said um, the puck's way different. Now that might sound ridiculous to some people, but if you're a hockey player, like even a, I think even like a beer league guy or a guy playing high school, or college, certainly, um, you'd be able to tell if the puck is off a little bit just based on how you're used to carrying it, how you're used to stick handling, how you're used to it sliding and gliding on the ice. I mean, you ask a basketball player if the ball is different or the ball is smaller or the ball weighs different or football. Look at football. I mean, they had a the whole they had a whole investigation on Tom Brady based on the deflated footballs and how much impact it could have on the game. So, um, you know, I, I think it's pretty stupid that they, they did this because they should have had it perfected before they put it into, into play. But I guess they've decided now that they're going to take those pucks out of circulation until they can fix it um, and they'll make a new batch. So I'm not sure if they'll come back this year, but uh, honestly, I, I'll be, I'd be fine if they just left them out, man. I mean, I don't think anybody really cares uh, too much, you know, what, how fast the puck's traveling or how much, you know, time on ice this player has and stuff like that. There's these different advanced stats they're trying to get to and try to make the game more fun to watch. I think if you just simplify um, the old saying, less is more, I don't need to see all these different stats, and especially if it's going to impact the game and cause some teams not to be able to score and cause some players to complain about, um, you know, the puck and things like that. So, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I, I hope they just kind of move on from it and get back to normal. But, um, you know, luckily I haven't heard anything about it affecting the Penguins yet, although it, po- it possibly could be because they haven't really been scoring too much. Um, I guess they've been scoring a lot. They haven't been able to to kind of blow any teams out. Every game they've played, they've either lost or they've won by a goal or they've won in a shootout. Um, so they have won four straight. They started 0-2. They lost two to the Flyers. They beat the Capitals twice. Um, they beat the Rangers twice. Like I mentioned, a couple shootout wins in there. That doesn't really help because you're giving your division opponents points. And if you win a shootout game versus a regulation win or an overtime win, for any tiebreakers leading into the playoffs, those shootout victories go away. They get taken off your uh, total wins, um, your total wins total. So it, it's just a what they call an ROW, the regulation or overtime win is in the standing. So that's the most important stat whenever it comes to tiebreakers for the NHL. So especially this year when it's so tight in the East Division, the Penguins Division, they really can't be giving up these extra points. Or if they are giving up extra points, they got to get it done in overtime in three on three. They can't really let it go to, uh, they can't let it go to a shootout. Um, They've had some. If anybody's paid attention to the Penguins for the last decade, you know they're always at the top of the list when it comes to 
uh, man games lost due to injury. It just always seems to happen. I mean, there's been rumors that the Penguins uh, are suffering because they built the PPG Paints Arena over top of an Indian burial ground. Um, I know that's, I'm not even really sure if that's legit or not. I know there's people that are just trying to figure out any way, any connection um, to see why the Penguins are always injured. But already we played six games. We've got Marcus Pedersen, our, one of our top three defensemen out uh, long-term. Mike Matheson, who they acquired for Patrick Hornquist in the offseason to play defense and add some depth out long-term. Evan Rodriguez, who's kind of a depth player, but uh, you know, due to some circumstances, um, with trying to get the lineup straight, there's a lot of new pieces for the Penguins this year. He's been playing a lot with Sidney Crosby. Um, not doing so great, but, I mean, you can't really blame him. He's not. He's kind of being miscast. He's not really a top-line player. Uh, but anyway, he got hurt against the Rangers um, last night, so he's out long-term. And Yuso Rikula is out. I'm not sure if he's long-term, but he's kind of a depth defenseman. But already, I mean, six games into the season, we've already got some prominent players missing. Um, and Kasperi Kapanen, the big trade that they got um, this year from Toronto – you know, he's supposed to come in and play with Malkin or play with Crosby, add some speed, which he, he certainly can do. But he had that work visa issue that we discussed on previous episodes, so he wasn't able to make it for training camp. Um, he hasn't really been able to practice. He's had a couple practices. He's played uh, a couple games here, but he hasn't really gotten his legs and his conditioning, according to Mike Sullivan, the Penguins head coach. Um, so he really uh, needs to kind of get his legs better, and hopefully he can get back into tip-top game shape and kind of make an impact on those top two lines for the top six for the Penguins. I think going forward, once he's ready, I'd expect to see him on a line with Jason Zucker, uh, Evgeny Malkin, um, and Kasperi Kapanen. I, I think you put Brian Rust up with Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby, and that's a pretty solid top six. Um, the one thing that worries me a little bit about the Penguins is the way Evgeny Malkin is playing. Um, I think he's getting a lot of criticism. You can't really see it. That's why I like to go to the games um, a lot because you can, and it's like that in any sport, but you can see different things that aren't shown on TV. Um, it appears that, you know, he's he's kind of moping a little bit. He's had these he's had these uh, times in his career where, you know, things aren't going well. The puck's not going in. The puck's bouncing on him. You know, he's fighting the puck. Sometimes it looks like he's trying to stick handle. Like when he's stick handling, he's trying to beat a snake to death with a you know a twig or something like that. He's just fighting the puck. Um, so he's, he's had some spurts like that throughout his career, and he always seems to get out of it. But this one, he kind of looks like he's a little bit disinterested, and that's very worrisome to me. Um, I don't know what it would be. I don't know if he feeds off the energy of the crowd. I don't know if he's unhappy with the coach. I don't know if he's unhappy with anything. I mean, he's getting every, every opportunity. Um, he's got. He's still playing top minutes. He's still playing top power play. Uh, hopefully he can turn it around because you know Sidney Crosby has been playing well uh, this entire year, and basically he's shown up every night for his entire career. Um, some nights, you know, he's not the best, but he's always there. The effort's always there. And that's the one thing that's a little bit of troublesome about Malkin this year is it seems like maybe his effort, um, you know, and his attitude, he looks a little bit disinterested. So hopefully, you know, he can, he can come back from that and, uh, he can get his game back because the Penguins really, really need him. They definitely need him. And one thing I wanted to talk about too, with the Penguins and Sidney Crosby, especially is, uh, one thing that really chaps my ass about the NHL and the NHL fans, and basically fans in general, I think everybody is so quick, and, and networks too, podcasts, everybody, everybody is so quick to crown the next guy. You see, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but you see Patrick Mahomes, yeah, a good player, a great player, potentially, but he's um, already being talked about as being the greatest of all time, and people, it's like people forget Tom Brady exists, and you know Tom Brady's still going, as we'll talk about here in a minute, he's still playing in the Super Bowl, so... Um, I think so many people are so quick to just write off the old the old guard and say, you know, hey, in the NHL especially, Connor McDavid's so much better than Sidney Crosby. He's better. He's better in every aspect of the game. I mean, that's just complete and utter bullshit. Um, 
Sidney Crosby, while not the fastest player anymore, I think he really changed his game after he got those two concussions uh, back in 2011, uh, courtesy of David Steckel, the, the scumbag from the Capitals, that cheap shot at him at the end of the uh, period in the Winter Classic. Absolute joke of a hit, no no suspension, no penalty, nothing. Um, and then the next game he played, he came back and, and he got uh, kind of like an unfortunate hit from Victor Hedman a couple days later and caused him to miss a whole year, basically, a little bit over a year. Everybody knows the story. Um it's just, I think he changed his game. He he became more methodical. He, before he was so reckless, he would he'd fly into the boards. He'd be skating through guys, you know, not worrying about getting hit. And you can't blame him. I mean, he, he it's got to be in the back of his mind that he potentially could get his head taken off again, you know. So, um, I think the only thing McDavid has is that he still has that, um, like recklessness in him. He's super fast. He's faster than anybody. He's the fastest skater ever in NHL history, and certainly the fastest skater to ever skate with the puck. The things he can do at top speed and stick handling are incredible. Even like NHL guys are just like, I, I don't even know how to deal with them. I mean, if, if you're two steps in front of him, he's going to blow right past you. So it, it's pretty crazy. Um, but to me, that's the only thing he really has on Crosby. Um, I think we aren't spending enough time discussing Sidney Crosby's work in the faceoff circle. If you remember uh, back maybe even five, six, seven years ago, he was one of the worst centermen in the NHL in faceoffs in terms of how many faceoffs he takes getting first line minutes. He spent a whole season, uh, or spent a whole off season working on his faceoffs, and ever since then he's been great. Um, this year he's clicking at sixty five percent. So sixty five percent of the time he wins the faceoff. Absurd. A couple nights ago, I think he won eighteen draws and lost three. I mean that's ridiculous. And um, you know he's been totally dominant. He had totally dominant performance from the dots for Crosby this year. And this year, um, he, like I said, he's at sixty five percent right now. In the last two years, he was fifty five percent or higher. The last two years, which is incredible. I mean. For those who don't know about faceoffs in the NHL, if you're about 50, anything above 50% is considered pretty good. I mean, if you're 55 to 60%, that's exceptional, especially how many faceoffs Sidney Crosby takes. And a lot of his faceoffs, because he's so good at taking faceoffs, is he takes them in the defensive zone. So he might not even be on the line or he might be on the penalty kill. He takes a quick faceoff, they win it, they dump it, he goes off. Um, he's that important to the team. Not to mention his defensive play, um, his play away from the puck, his hockey sense, his leadership. I mean, I just don't even think it's close. I think people just look at the highlights. And they look at the explosiveness. They look at the points he's putting up, uh, that McDavid's putting up, and they say, oh, he's better than Crosby. Yeah, he's better. He's, he scores more points, but his team's won exactly one playoff series in six years. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, at the age that Crosby was, now that McDavid is, he had already been to two cups and won one. So I, I think we just pumped the brakes a little bit on that. Uh, I know I'm a little bit passionate about that because, you know, I'll defend Crosby to the death. But, I mean, this guy, I mean, come on, I think people need to stop forgetting about him. And it kind of, I think it kind of fuels him a little bit. I mean, I, I know in 2015, 2016, they basically wrote him off. There was people on NHL Network saying, you know, Sidney Crosby's lost it. McDavid's going to be better. Matthew's coming in is going to be better. And maybe that's the case going forward. But and then Crosby railed off uh, two back-to-back -back Stanley Cups, two back-to-back -back Conn Smythes, a world championship, a world championship MVP, and has been at the top of his game ever since. So, um, you know, I, I just think people need to just check themselves when they're talking about McDavid being the best player in the league. I don't even think McDavid's better than Nathan McKinnon, uh, but that's a, another debate for another, uh, another day, another podcast. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, too, in terms of the NHL is the COVID scheduling. Just a real brief update. There's been a couple teams that have been impacted by COVID. Uh, the Dallas Stars uh, in the Central Division, the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, the Florida Panthers inadvertently have been affected because the teams that they most have uh, were scheduled to play at the beginning of the season had COVID outbreaks. So their, their games have been postponed, so much so that the 
Uh, Florida Panthers actually have only played two games so far. They have to play 54 games in the last 102 days of the season. So you're bound to see some injuries, man. I mean, across the league, this condensed schedule every other night, uh, playing the same teams. Like I mentioned on the first episode, I mean, these teams, some you might play the same team four times in a row or four times out of five, um, and you're going to have some hits. You're going to have some dirty plays that are going to lead to some cheap shots, things like that. So these guys are going to be beat up. This is going to be an all-out war this season. Um, so I, I'm just I'm just thankful that the season's being played and, and hoping that uh, all the games can get in. And if there are some, some uh, postponed games and things like that, they do a little bit better job maybe. Um, than the the NFL did, um, and they have kind of things built into the schedule where they can delay it a little bit, or they can get these games in, so everybody plays the same amount of games to make it fair for the uh, playoffs. So, um, and with that being said, too, um, the NFL, the NFL, as I mentioned, the Super Bowl has been set. It will be the Kansas City Chiefs. It will be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And holy shit, man, Tom Brady going to his tenth Super Bowl. I saw an amazing stat today where. That's more than Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Peyton Manning combined in terms of Super Bowl appearances. Not to mention he's going for his seventh Super Bowl victory, which would be more than any franchise has. I think he has 33 playoff victories in his career. I wish somebody would tell me. I don't know off the top of my head, but there's got to be a bunch of teams in the league that don't have 33 playoff wins in their entire franchise history, which is just an absurd ridiculous number of wins and ridiculous number of Super Bowl appearances and potentially winning seven Super Bowls. I think if it wasn't already, I think right now it might be the time, especially if if Brady wins this Super Bowl, to put him as the greatest athlete and greatest winner of all time in any sport. I think that puts him above Michael Jordan, um, you know, above Babe Ruth, above those guys that are just you, you think are untouchable. And I'm just so blessed. I know growing up as a Steelers fan, he used to dummy us every time. I don't, God knows what the Steelers' record is in meaningful games against the Patriots. Um, and if they would have played the Buccaneers this year, they probably would have lost, I'm sure. But um, Tom Brady's just always had our number, but I, I always hated him. Uh, but now as I'm getting older, I'm just appreciating him for being able to watch the arguably and probably the best quarterback of all time and maybe the best athlete of all time in his prime all the way through his career, stay healthy. He's 43 years old. He's slinging the rock out there. Um, you know, like he's 35, he's, he's playing better than Philip Rivers played. He's certainly playing better than Ben Roethlisberger has been playing. Um, it's hard not to root for that guy. And I kind of, like I said, on a couple episodes ago, I kind of want him to just shove it up, uh, Bill Belichick's ass, man. Cause that Bill Belichick just wanted to get rid of him and kind of, they had their, they had their moments and I don't think their relationship was as good as it was to start certainly at the end. Um, and, uh, you know, more power to him. I'm not a Patrick Mahomes guy. I know I don't particularly think he I, I maybe it's because the the way the media portrays him as the best football player of all time and he's all I mean he's only been in the league a couple of years I think we can pump the brakes on that similar to the McDavid um you know segment I just had I, I think I just hate that idea that these people are just like they write off the old guard and the people that have been around doing it for Brady's been doing it for 20 years he's been unbelievable for that long um so hey I, I'm hoping that the Buccaneers can win the Super Bowl Bruce Arians it, uh, can get his get his Super Bowl uh, trophy as a head coach, and it's actually pretty crazy because as a Steelers fan, it's funny. I think people in Pittsburgh, for some reason, are like, "Oh yeah, Le'Veon Bell's on the Chiefs, Antonio Brown's on the uh, Buccaneers. Oh, the Steelers are sitting at home. You know, they should have kept those guys." Well, first of all, I'm not really sure Antonio Brown wanted to stay uh, with all the antics he had, and I'm pretty sure the Steelers are better off in the long run without him. Um, he, he's been a pretty decent player for the. 
Buccaneers. He has forty. He had forty five catches in eight games. He had missed the first eight games due to suspension. So those are pretty good numbers. Um, but I, he's by far not the you know the number one target on that team. I mean, you got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Um, so and then Le'Veon Bell. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's he's only there because there's been some injuries on that team. I mean, he's more of a depth running back. He's played okay, but he didn't. Neither one of uh, Bell or Brown played in the conference championship games. Uh, they're not really an impact on the on the roster. Uh, too much, and I, I'll be surprised if they really have any impact in the Super Bowl. But one of them is going to get a ring, so that's going to piss a lot of Steelers fans off. Uh, but I'm pulling for Tom Brady. I never thought in my life I would ever hear myself say that. And speaking of Tom Brady, I think it's a perfect time to send it over to a Tom Brady super fan. Although we didn't talk about it during the interview, but it's the perfect time to send it over to the awesome interview with my buddy Troy. I hope you all enjoy it. Right now, it's my pleasure to be joined by one of my best friends in the world. He and I go all the way back to preschool. He was my college roommate, and he was the best man at my wedding. He's by far the biggest supporter of WVU athletics that there has ever been, so much so that he used to wake up early and head to the WVU football spring game and take notes like a scout from the bleachers, for crying out loud. But these days, he's working hard to become the next barbecue pit master, grilling and smoking meats down there in Texas. This is going to be a blast. My brother Troy, thanks for joining the Ramblin' Brews podcast. How's it going, man? It's good. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I, I'm. Hey, I'm interested to to catch up with you. And uh, I guess the first question, you know, the obligatory question I always ask is, uh, what are you sipping on over there? I know you're like me, so you do like uh, domestic beers uh, predominantly. Yeah, typical. Typically, this would be uh, Michelob Ultra, but uh, for the show, I decided to switch it up. Um, I'm a big proponent of sour beers. Um, also, okay. a fan of uh, pickles and pickle juice. So why not combine oh. the two? This is a uh, best made sour pickle beer. It is uh, brewed and canned by Martin House Brewing Company in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, a it's little a, local action. Yeah, a little local action. I don't know if it's nationwide or not, but uh, it, it's getting pretty popular down here. Um, it essentially tastes exactly like pickle juice, um, but with alcohol. So if you like pickle juice, I think you'll like it. Um, the only thing is that it is almost overpowering, so you only need one or two. Um, so what's like the, what's the percentage on that? It's a funny story that you asked that because <clears throat> before I came on, I wanted to look up the nutrition facts. I'm trying to, you know, watch my carbs <laughs> and calories. So I when I was looking it up, I actually was the fifth billion visitor to the website. Oh, so shit. I actually won a bunch of prizes and stuff. So, uh, I'm probably going to be able to retire after this now that, uh, <laughs> like I won all of that. What kind of prizes did you win? Oh, I don't know if so many of them were popping up that it was hard to keep track, but essentially I think I'm in a good place now uh, with that. So I never actually got to the nutrition facts, but I'm going to say <laughs> around 5% for this one. What are you sipping on? Just a bunch of viruses you just got on your computer, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, well, typically, like you mentioned, I would be drinking a Coors Light on brand, but uh, you know, last week whenever I started to do that new segment where I'm going to try new beers, I figured... You know what's better than asking the guest to uh, recommend something for me to try? So it's I'm glad you mentioned you're a, a sour beer advocate because you did mention uh, or you did recommend to me to try a sour beer um, that I have here. I haven't had yet. It's the Dogfish Head Sea Quench Ale Session Sour. Um, I will say first that I had some people that reached out to me uh, whenever I started talking about doing this um, segment, and they were. I guess craft beer aficionados and they mentioned that I should stay away from sours if I'm not a 
like if I'm not into craft beers or I'm very new at the, in the craft beer game, but, um, I know a couple of years ago when we were down in Asheville, you know, I went down for vacation. Coincidentally, Troy was there with me and we had a bunch of sours at some microbreweries and they were really good. So I'm actually looking forward to trying this. Um, this one, it says it's blissfully brewed with lime juice, lime peel, black limes, and sea salt. So it actually sounds pretty good. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and crack the beer and then I will, um, take a sip and then I'm going to explain my new rating system. So. Ooh. Yeah, that's sour, all right, think? for sure. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, before I give the, the formal rating, though, I do want to mention, so last week I was caught off guard a little bit by the guest, Ray, uh, about rating the the, uh, the beers that I'm drinking. So I know I mentioned I didn't want to copy uh, Dave Portnoy too much from Barstool. So I'm going to kind of take a spin off of that, and I'm going to do my beer ratings based on five stars. Um, you can still use the decimal points because five five stars doesn't really give you a lot of options. You might have a lot of the same uh, ratings. So, I, and I'm only going to use that that scale for these craft beers. I'm not going to do it for your Coors Lights and typical domestic <laughs> beers. Just these it, these random beers that uh, people will have me try. So, hold, hold on, let me take another sip. <laughs> Dude, that's pretty damn good. Glad you like, I like it. That. I like so is this like your your favorite sour beer or uh, one of them? I, yeah, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but uh you can get it pretty much uh anywhere. Uh most of my favorite sours are like local and uh I'm a big fan of raspberry ones, but as far as availability, I think that's the uh the sour that you'll find uh more commonly than any other sour and then I think it's just it's just a staple at this point. It's just a lot of people that haven't had sours before or not big fans of sours like it. So it's just one that I think uh is easy to recommend and um, I think it's a good starting point if you've never had a sour or if you want to know if you'd like sours. I think it's a it's a good way to tell. I think if you hate it, then probably just won't like sours overall. So I think it's good baseline yeah, so you, beer, sour beer. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I like sour stuff like candy and stuff like that. So like the sour taste and sour flavor I like. Um, you know, my biggest thing is like going into the – I went into the beer distributor. Thank God you recommended and like sent me a picture of what it looks like because – you go into these places and there's hundreds of different beers and like none of the things say sour. Like here's the sour section. Right. So I have no idea. And, and dogfish head is pretty popular. I, I've definitely heard of that. I don't know if I've had any, any of their other beers. I definitely haven't had this one, but um, yeah, this might, this might have to get in the rotation here. Uh, if I'm ever trying to switch up from Coors Light, which is very, very <laughs> rare. Um, the only knock on this is I think like at least up here in, in Pittsburgh, it was like $20 for a 12 pack. Oh yeah, it's not cheap. So but. that's the that's the only knock. It, it's good, but you can get thirty cores lights for twenty bucks. So it's yeah, not <laughs> but, the best uh, value, but it's worth it. Yeah, definitely something to switch it up. It's it's nice and refreshing. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna give this on the uh, the first ever Rambling Brews uh, five star scale rating here. I guess we'll call it the Morel meter. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go and give this a a three point four five. Okay. 3.45 see again you can't go too high right you know troy you can't go too high because you don't want to you know you don't want to go and say hey something's a five and then you might find something that's better so right yeah i think that's a pretty yourself. solid score but definitely something that i would consider drinking again i'll probably have another one as we go here in the interview i'm glad you enjoyed it i also wanted to uh um i forgot to mention when i was talking about the sour pickle beer uh, i know that a lot of people have strong feelings about pickles and pickle juice either way uh, people seem to either love or hate pickles or love or hate pickle juice i consider myself a pickle hater so okay. i'm in that <laughs> all right so i can't stand pickles man no matter what i say nothing um there's no chance that you would ever enjoy this beer then but 
for the pickle lovers. I haven't tried this one yet, but the same brand, Best Made, makes a spicy sour pickle beer. And to me, that just sounds even better than this one. So if that's going to be, if I uh, get lucky enough to get invited back, that's going to be what I bring on next time. And <laughs> I won't try it until I get on the show again. I will hold out. Yeah, hold out. You'll come back. And hey, maybe uh, maybe if you're lucky, I'll I'll, uh, I'll try that beer on that episode too and give okay. you what I think of it. Because to your point, like pickles to me, they're just so overpowering. Like anytime there's a pickle on a sandwich or pickle on anything, and I, I've been told I'm like a little kid because adults like pickles, and like I, I don't I don't know what that even means. But people always <laughs> look at me weird when I'm like I hate pickles, but probably why I don't like Chick Fil A. But that's a different uh, that's a different conversation for a different day. <laughs> but I, I just I just don't like that taste. And, and my right. wife loves pickle. Uh, you know, she drinks pickle juice. She eats the pickle chips, the pickle spears, all this stuff, and. Um, it, I just it just disgusts me almost just the smell and the uh, but so I'm sure the beer won't be very good but it might make for some good entertainment so um, so yeah so moving on from there um, as I mentioned in the intro Troy you are um, an avid like I guess griller and smoker um, so I, I guess tell us a little bit about that how did you get into that like what made you start wanting to uh, you know just start dabbling in that I guess right yeah I, I'm still. Uh... A long work in progress but essentially i mean down here in uh, houston every other block has uh awesome barbecue so just been eating it for the past since i've been here three four years and then finally i was like i just need to start making it and uh essentially quarantine just really uh kicked that up a notch starting in about march when we had uh nothing else to do while at home i just started watching youtube videos basically watching barbecue videos and there's a ton of youtube videos out there to watch i would watch them every saturday and sunday for months and uh i still do <laughs> so uh that that really piqued my interest and then uh i had a grill already but didn't know how to use it too well and uh over the past year i've been uh using it pretty much every weekend so that's basically what got my start and uh yeah when you're living in texas you have to and uh the prices on barbecue when you go to the stores and stuff uh are great so Now's the time for me to learn, and uh, whenever we get back home, be able to bring it back up north with us. Yeah, hopefully uh, you can do that because that's one thing that's like a little bit disappointing um, about up here is like, you know, I've been in Georgia visiting friends, I've been down and visit you down in Houston, and like the food down there is just incredible. Like you really can't get that. I mean, there's places up here that have barbecue, but it's not like true Southern barbecue. You know what I mean? So like, that's something that uh, you know I'm very jealous of, and it's it's awesome that you uh, you know you kind of started to make it on your own, and you can um, you know learn how to make brisket and learn how to make you know pulled pork and all that kind of stuff, like really right. good homemade stuff. Um, right, and and I want to make a uh, a sales pitch for whenever uh, I move back to the Pittsburgh area. If there's anyone out there that likes barbecue and likes to weld, uh, I I've been reading a lot about making your own smokers because you can basically i mean make them to your specifications and exactly how you want them but i have zero welding skills so if anyone has any interest <laughs> in uh welding a smoker I, I i will i will uh i will make one with you that'd be an awesome idea i guess like before we get into smoking i wanted to pull back to um grilling like you mentioned so you had a grill but you didn't really know um how to use it i guess initially so from that and then you came a long way from back when we were in college uh, we had a gas grill <laughs> but we didn't know like it didn't work the igniter was broken so we just turned it into a charcoal grill we just put charcoal in there and used it that way um, but i guess 
So what would, what would your thoughts be in terms of charcoal versus gas, like from an overall perspective mm-hmm. for a grill? Or I guess it depends on, or does it depend on, you know, what, what type of food you're making? Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, convenience. So I, I bought a uh, charcoal grill before I knew what I was doing, and that's all I had. It was only like, it's a Weber charcoal grill. I think it was probably $130 or so. And I'm so thankful that I got it uh, because that forces you to learn how to, how to use it and how to grill because you know you can't just fire up the propane and get it started and um, get it to the exact temperature. You have to do a lot of um, messing with the, the charcoal and the, the vents and everything. So I think that, uh, and I'll say I have, uh, now I have a Weber charcoal and a Weber gas. And so I use both. I think that the gas grill is just so convenient. You can just go out and turn your propane on and heat it up. And then uh, within minutes, you know, you have it ready and you go out and grill. So it's especially helpful during the week when not everyone wants to spend the time uh, getting the charcoal ready and messing around with that. I think that uh, charcoal definitely provides the best flavor, provides the best options as far as if you want to smoke it or uh, or grill directly. But uh, as far as convenience, I mean, gas grills are pretty great. Yeah, like I, I've had both um, before, but I like you said, the gas grill – the convenient, like if it's, it doesn't probably doesn't get that bad down where you're at, but up here, I guess right now it's like 19 degrees out. So if I'm trying to go, you know, grill, I don't want to be out there, you know, messing with the, the charcoals and, and getting it like taking 30, 40 minutes for it to heat up to the right temperature before you can even start cooking. It's just like, mm-hmm. you can hit the igniter and, and be ready to go in five, 10 minutes. Um, right. And then too, I guess what, what types of, what types of foods do you normally grill? Yeah. So, um, as far as grilling a lot of chicken, uh, I did want to give, I I just want to give a disclaimer. I I feel that you know, I spent a lot of time grilling and smoking meats in the past year. Um, nothing I offer up right here is going to be life changing or anything. But it's some things that I found to be extremely helpful. And especially with chicken, when I first started out grilling, like it would always just come out dry, or the uh, parts of it would be dry. So the technique that I found to be most helpful, and I've learned this through numerous YouTube videos is if you, if you're going to grill chicken breast beforehand, you put it in a Ziploc bag, the breast, add a little bit of oil into the bag and then take something that has a flat end. Uh, I use a, like a, a Mason jar that has a flat end that's squared and you just pound the thicker part of the chicken breast and you just make it even throughout the so whole you're trying thing. To flatten it out essentially. Like, yeah. So- you flatten it out so that the thicker end, you know, become, it just all becomes even. And then that way, because if not, then the, uh, the thinner part of the chicken breast will dry out, um, to be able to cook the, uh, the thicker part to temperature. Um, or if not, then, uh, then the thinner part will be cooked right. And the thicker part will be undercooked. So that's the thing. And, and I've, uh, had people try that since then. And they all agree that it's just, uh, makes a world of difference to be able to do that. Yeah, that's a that's a that's great advice. The other thing too that I know, and and you can hit on it if if you think it's it's worth it or not. But I've always found where like if you're grilling chicken, um, at least whenever I was first starting to do that, you would always or it would always turn out like you said either dry or like the outside of the chicken, like the skin of the chicken would be completely done, like almost burnt to a crisp, and then the inside's not really even done yet. So. Um, what I, one of the techniques that I saw and I read about that I just started doing was kind of, I don't know if there's a term for it. You might know it, Troy, but we're like, if my gas grill is like a four burner, 
So you would light like three of the burners or light two mm-hmm. of them and then just put the chicken in the middle and it might take a little bit longer, but it almost like acts like a smoker. Yeah. Like where the, it, the, the, I guess the chicken is not right on the heat, but since it's closed and you let it cook for a while, it circulates and, cook, and it evenly cooks through the whole chicken. So you don't have that problem. Right. Yeah. I wanted to touch on that too. So with a gas grill and I have a three burner Weber. <clears throat> so if I'm going to smoke meat and I don't really do this as much with chicken, I do this with ribs and I don't feel like uh, messing with the charcoal grill that day. I turn the left burner on to like medium and leave the middle burner and the right burner off and then wait for the grill to heat up. And what you can do is, so you can essentially turn a gas grill into a smoker and all you have to do is you can get a smoker box and you can add wood chips or wood chunks to it. And you put that in the, in the smoker box and then you put that over the side that is on. So if you turn your left burner on, you put the smoker box over there, then you close the lid. It essentially acts as a smoker and then you let it get to the temperature that you want. Um, I do ribs with this all the time. So I get it to about 275 and then put the ribs on the right side. So you put the ribs over the side of the burners that are off. And at that point, your gas grill is essentially working as a smoker, which is pretty sweet. So if uh, anyone has a gas grill or doesn't want to get a charcoal grill, uh, this can essentially be used um, to, to replace that. And uh, yeah, you can do that with chicken too. I usually just try not to. Uh, I usually don't do that as much with chicken. Uh, chicken doesn't take in smoke as much as um, as other meats. I like to just cook. I just like to grill chicken faster. So I'll, I'll just cook it directly. I just make sure that I don't get my grill too hot. Like if it's like 600 degrees, then it's going to it's gonna burn it up. But Right. Yeah, you don't want that. Um, yeah. And also uh, instead of the smoker boxes, I mean, you can get them for 10 to $20 on Amazon. Uh, I highly recommend doing it because, uh, yeah, essentially, like I said, it turns it into a smoker. And uh, Or if not, you can always, and I haven't done this but because uh, I use a smoker box, but you can put it in foil and wrap, put the wood chips uh, in foil and then wrap it and then just poke holes in the foil and put it over top of the burner and it'll essentially do the same thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to have to try that because that, that probably adds some like awesome flavor to your food. I'll definitely try that. I guess too, like with grilling – um, with seasoning. So like, I guess we can talk about steaks. Like what's your typical seasoning on steak? Do you, uh, do you marinate it or, or, or do you do, you know, something different? I guess, what do you, what's your go-to? Yeah, I'm, I'm strictly anti anything but salt and pepper for steak. And, uh, mm. I think a lot of that is, uh, mainly because I've been getting into barbecue and cooking since I've been in Texas. And with a lot of the meats down here, everything is like salt and pepper. Briskets are just salt and pepper. If you do beef ribs, it's just salt and pepper. Steak, just salt and pepper. I never marinate. Just, just go with salt and pepper. How about yourself? I used to do. Um, I used to do a marinade. Uh, my sister actually sent me um, a good one. I'm, I'm not sure where she got it from, but it had like it was crazy. It had like Worcestershire sauce. Um, it had soy sauce, like garlic, a bunch of stuff, and you put it in a Ziploc bag and let it soak for a day or so. Um, it turned out really good. Like it's it's really flavorful. But I I remember you mentioned to me. Um, a while back like hey just try salt and pepper um it's a lot easier and it tastes really good so ever since then i've really just been doing salt and pepper on uh on my steaks so we don't cook steaks that often here mm-hmm. um my wife loves them i i like them too but I, i'm almost like i'm not experienced enough like i guess that's why we're having this conversation it's good getting <laughs> some tips from you but like 
Um, I'm kind of the guy that yeah, if I go to a restaurant, I might like to get a steak. I don't, I'm just, I don't know. Maybe it's blasphemous to say, but I'm not the biggest steak guy. I do like other, I like chicken. I like, uh, you know, ribs, uh, brisket, pulled pork, stuff like that. But I just, I mean, I like steak, but it's just not my favorite. So I don't, we don't typically eat it. Um, mm-hmm. so like, I, I don't know if that's, like I said, I don't know if that's blasphemous to say it'd be like <laughs> somebody will be, somebody will be yelling at me. I'm sure I'll be getting tweeted or texted about it. Um, it's okay. It's your be, taste buds. I mean, everybody's different, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't want to go to a restaurant sometimes if I'm not in the mood for it. I don't want to buy like, you know, pay $30 for a steak. If I don't really want a steak, that's just how, so a lot of times I'll get seafood or I'll get shrimp or something like that. If we go to like Longhorn or something, I, I usually do that. Um, I guess pivoting over to, to smoking, uh, meats, I see, I, I have no idea. I want to get into smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you and I have talked about it, like just potentially getting a, a smoker here pretty soon. But again, I'd have to do like kind of what you did and kind of just teach myself and, and watch videos. But I guess for anybody like me or anybody that's trying to get started, um, you know, I guess what tips or, or tricks do you have that might, you know, it not, you're not going to be an expert in day one. You're going to have to trial and error and everything and try right. it out. But I guess, what do you think would be? the best place to start or the best types of food to start with. It might be simple to kind of get your feet wet. Right. I think that the, the way to go is, uh, and I had been talking about it is ribs. I think that, uh, ribs are extremely forgiving and you can make, uh, you can make ribs easily on the, on a gas grill or charcoal. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can throw them on the, the right side of the gas grill and turn your left burner on, get it to about 275 and usually takes about four or five hours for spare ribs. It just depends. But, uh, I would start with ribs. Um, the other thing is, uh, if you have a charcoal grill, like a Weber kettle, that's where I've done all of my smoking. And it, it's a great way to learn because it's not necessarily meant for that. I mean, it's not a smoker. Um, but you essentially put the coals on one side of the grill, and then uh, you cook the meat on the opposite side. And so it's called indirect cooking. And then you put the vent over top of the meat, and the vent of the on top of the lid. And so essentially the smoke will go uh, through the meat and out that side of the vent. So I think that anyone that's looking to start, just go get a uh, get a $130 or whatever it is now, Weber kettle grill, and start learning to to smoke on that. Because I think that if you can smoke on a Weber kettle, it, it takes a lot of messing with the vents and, and trial and error. And it's not going to be great at first, but once you're able to um, to get that down pat and to be able to routinely cook good barbecue on that, then you'll you'll be set. So I, I would highly recommend getting Weber kettle to anybody that's been uh, been thinking about it. Yeah. Do you usually go like so in terms of the meats and stuff you get? Do you usually get them from like the the grocery store? I know they have like uh, there's like I guess meat shops and stuff like that mm-hmm. or uh, butcher shops. So they have that. What I think it's called Butcher Box or something. Uh, oh yeah. That I've heard about where they'll kind of send you high quality meats. You, it's like a monthly package similar to like one of those Home Fresh or something like that. Um, but it's like, it's, it sends you high quality meats that you right. can, you can grow. I guess that's one of my things is I never really, cause I don't really know. I've, I haven't made ribs. I haven't really made brisket. So I don't even know really to go into the store and like go to the, um, you know, the counter and say, Hey, I need a, B and C. I'm not even really sure what, what's good. What's not good. Yeah. I, I uh, we have a grocery chain down here. It's called AGB. And I mean, Anyone from Texas, if you bring it up, they'll just go on and on about how great it is. And it is great. So I haven't had to to go to a butcher. I mean, I'm sure that I can get even better meats at butchers. (laughs) I don't even know if, like, you have to go to a butcher up here. That actually sounds, like, super old. Like, it sounds like some old school shit you'd have to do back in, like, the 1850s. (laughs) But, like, 
Yeah. Now you, you probably can just walk into the, your regular grocery store and get that kind of stuff. But I know there's like different uh, markets. There's like different meat markets around here that are like supposed to be better than just your traditional grocery store chains. But I, I don't want to, I always feel like I'm going to look stupid. I walk in there and say, Hey, give me like a, <laughs> give me some brisket. They're going to look at me like, well, you know, there's 500 different kinds. What do you want? You know what I mean? So it's like right. a daunting. I think the thing with, uh, with going to a butcher is it's especially helpful for like specialty meats. And if you want like an exact, uh, weight and I mean, HEB, they will, they'll definitely help you if you, if you want a different weight than the meats that are out there. But Every time I've gone up and like, oh, can I get a six pound pork butt? And they're like, well, there's pork butts out there. I'm like, yeah, but there's not a six pound. There's like a four and a half pound and a seven pound. And they'll, they'll do yeah, it you're for like, you. But it. I want a six pound pork butt. Just <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like pork butt. Um, so they'll do it for you. But at a butcher, <laughs> like they're, I mean, that's what, that's their whole business. So they're expecting you to, to want um, different weights and, and things like that. But. Yeah, it makes sense. I just probably just got to stop being a little bitch and go in there and ask the questions. You know, like you're never going to learn if you don't ask the questions. And if they right. think I'm an idiot, then whatever. If they don't want to help me, then that's just sale they lost. More than likely, they're going to help me and, and they're going to, you know, help me figure out what it is I'm actually looking for. Yep. And here's the other thing you can do is, uh, and I do this a lot because there will be so many different types of meat that I like recognize the name, but don't know exactly what to do with it. So, I'm like, oh, that sounds different than anything I've had. So I'll just buy it, and then I come home and, uh, again, go to uh, go to YouTube or just Google around and uh, in regards to, like, how to smoke and then whatever type of meat it is, and then you can find – I mean, everyone does barbecue different, so you can find five different recipes or find five different YouTube videos of pretty much any single meat that you're going to find at the store, and then right. you just do it your own way, and then you, you learn from there. So it, it's fun because it's not just, you know, taking something and putting it in the oven for – the exact time the recipe says and then taking it out, you know, you can, you can do it your own way. Yeah. And you can, exactly. You can add a little bit of different things to it, like different, um, you know, I guess your own, you can add your own little spin to it. So right. that's what's cool. Do you have any like, uh, YouTube people that you would recommend watching that are some of the best or like any books? I know you mentioned you've been reading books about it. Oh yeah. It, yeah. I definitely like want to, um, I definitely want to recommend Aaron Franklin's book uh, off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of the name of it, but uh, it's basically says like Aaron Franklin's manifesto on the front of it. It is awesome. So he's essentially a uh, pit master down here in Austin. He's probably at this point the, uh, and I might not be, he, um, there might be some, some people that uh, disagree with this, but um, as far as I know, he's probably the most uh, world renowned uh, barbecue pit master at this point. Um, people wait outside in line starting at like 6am for his barbecue, even during the week. Um, but it's cool. You can, uh, you can go there and <clears throat> in Austin and, um, they let you basically essentially tailgate. So you can uh, take seating and, and music and, and coolers of beer. And then you just wait in line and hang out and drink. And then when it opens, you know, you're there. But anyways, his, his book, he tells you how he got started. And then he tells you all about, uh, different kinds of smokers, how to build smokers. And then, uh, then he goes into, um, you know, preparing the meat and smoking it. And it's basically like a science. So it's pretty cool to read. So I would highly recommend it. That yeah. And I just, I just looked it up. Like you mentioned, it's uh, it looks like it's the Franklin barbecue a meat smoking manifesto by Aaron Franklin and Jordan mm -hmm. McKay. Yes. Um, every piece of food on the cover looks absolutely <laughs> delicious. That's one thing I, I, you just mentioned that I loved when I was down in Texas was like when we went to, um, like a, a barbecue place there and like before they were uh, open or like there's a long line. It's usually a long line um, depending on, I guess what day you're going, but 
we were like standing in line out there outside waiting to get in and they're like they got a keg set up and they're like offering free beer to people waiting in line what was that beer it's like lone star beer oh yeah yeah lone star beer yeah, that, I don't know what like on a scale on the morel meter scale that would be, but at <laughs> no, the time you, it was it was up it was up there for sure. Like I don't what 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 does that compare to? It's like a, it's just like a regular light beer, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like a just the local Texas beer. Like yeah, beer. and uh, I'm basically not a not a beer guy. I drink Michelob Ultras and sours, but uh, yeah, I would compare it <laughs> to respect. like drinking any any domestic beer. But uh, when you're in Texas and you're getting barbecue and you're waiting in line and it's a hundred degrees outside, I mean. There's nothing better than when they come around with uh with a Lone Star draft beer. It's just the best. Yeah, I mean it, I I enjoyed it so and speaking of the Lone Star state in Texas, uh, I want to pivot a little bit to um country music. So I know both you and I really love country music. Um I know some people, I don't understand some people that don't like country music. I just don't get it. I really don't understand how you don't like it. I mean, yeah, maybe it's simple, but it, like it works in every situation. If you're, I can listen to it if I'm working out. I can listen to it if I'm driving in the car. I can listen to it if I'm drinking. I can listen to it if I'm partying. Like, you know. So I, I really love country music. But I wanted to kind of touch with you on, you know, your top five country artists of all time. This is a very difficult list to make. Um, so I, I don't know where you're gonna go with it, and I think you might be surprised a little bit about mine. But <laughs> yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to hear that because. Uh... Wasn't I mean? Have you always liked country music, or did this like start in college? Because I know in high school you were you were more in, into rap than you were country, and then I remember in college you listened to both. So I didn't know where country music started. So I to... grew up, I grew up like real close to my, um, you know, I was real close and still am real close to my grandfather, but he's like real old school country. So my whole childhood basically all I listened to was country music until my dad bought me the Chingy CD uh, <laughs> when I was like, oh, what year? I don't even know what year it was, but I was probably like ten or eleven. Um, but I, I mean, I, I did like rap music. I loved rap music all through high school. I still listened to country then, maybe not as much. Um, kind of got a, got away from it because I think, you know, you and I both being born in 1991, like we grew up in an awesome era of country music where your typical songs that were on the radio, like music today were, you know, your Garth Brooks, your George Straits, like the, some of the best um, singers of all time in country. So we were hearing that like, and then whenever we kind of got to high school, it started to get more poppy and you know, I, I kind of got got away from it into rap music, and then my parents always told me, "Hey, like when you get older, you're gonna come back to country music. Like you're gonna you're gonna start listening to old music again." Because I used to make fun of them when my mom would be listening to Elvis <laughs> Presley in like you know 2005. But so I've always liked it. But yeah, you're right. Like I, I kind of got away from it, and then in college we got back to it. And now basically that's like 95 percent of what I listen to. I really, I mean, I listen to some old rap music, but I I really just don't. It's either like podcast or, or old country music for me. Oh, yeah. With the list where I went with this was, uh, I went with who I think basically were, are the top five best country music artists of all time. This not is not necessarily my favorite five, but, uh, and then I'll explain to each person uh, why I went with them. So I'll just start it off with uh, number five. I went with Eric Church. I think that he's great. Uh, his music is so great to listen to if you're tailgating before a football game, if it's fall, and it's been a while since I've been able to do this, but if it's the fall and you're driving through West Virginia and the leaves are changing or um, <laughs> through Pennsylvania and the leaves are changing and you see the beautiful mountains and you're just listening to the Springsteen and you crank it up, he's just oh, yeah. awesome. So I think Eric Church, I mean, most of his music just puts you in a good mood. He has uh, slow songs, fast songs. I mean, he can do it all. So that's why see, I I'm have a little... him at number five. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really solid choice. I'm a little indifferent on Eric Church. I like some of his music. Um, some but a lot of it's hit or miss for me. But um, you know, I think he's a great artist. I really I I enjoy listening to him, but. He wouldn't be that high for me. I think you okay. might be surprised by my number five here. Yeah, but, I'm a little nervous about this uh, one. <laughs> uh, my number five is Dolly Parton. <laughs> That's funny so, you say that. I have. Her I on love my list, Dolly dude. Parton, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I don't know how anybody could not like Dolly Parton. Like I was uh, thinking about this list today when I was putting it together, and I was like looking up her um, her hits because there's like probably seven or eight of them I can name off the top of my head right now that I really like. Um, but there's just so many of them like, and she's just so good. Her voice is so unique. Um, I think I want to say she has 20 or 25 number one hits, which seemed low to me for how successful she is, but also she's like a great person too. She's been giving back to people a lot, uh, during the pandemic. I know she's been all over, um, social media, not herself, but just like what things she's been doing have been going viral. And, um, she's got like that awesome, like Dollywood amusement park. And she just does a lot. Um, I, I really enjoy her music and her, and her voice. So I was, I was wondering if you would think that was a surprise just cause, um, you know, I feel like when some people talk about top five country, you don't hear Dolly Parton, mm-hmm. but I think she definitely deserves to be up there. So she's my number five. So I guess, uh, you know, I, I thought you were going to be surprised, but I, it, it I, I like... am surprised. I am surprised that you had her on there, but I guess I also thought that you'd be surprised that I had her on my <laughs> list as well at number three. And yeah, for a lot of the same reasons you said, and also I had circled this numerous times on my notes here, Jolene. And oh, Jolene's one of the best songs of, of all time. Yes, like. and that is like the main reason I put her on this list because that song, like when it comes on, I don't even know what it is, but it's just like gives you like an emotional response. Like it's just like her voice is incredible. What she's singing is just like, it's crazy. So yeah, I, I had to put her on there because I think that's one of, if not the best country songs ever. Yeah, like like you said, I mean, you could be having the shittiest day in the world, like, and that song pops on, and you're instantly like, you just find yourself like nodding your head, and then you you start singing. I feel like everybody's heard that song before. Um, a funny thing you should do, Troy, is go like go to YouTube and check out. You know how people do like reaction videos. Mm-hmm. Um, they like listen to the song for the first time. There's a bunch of them up to Jolene of like uh, people that you know, have never heard it. And like, they're just like blown away by how awesome her voice is and how the song, like just oh, the content awesome. of the song too is crazy. Yeah. Um, and I think she, I want to say, I saw like a concert with her um, where she was saying like, she wrote the song. It's based on a true story um, about like her and a guy she was with. I think that I want to say it was like a, a, a woman that worked at a car dealership or something like that, or some along those lines, but that it was actually like based on a, a true story about like some redheaded girl that, and she describes her in the song that, um, was kind of going after her, her man. So like, <laughs> I don't know I if know. she was just playing that up for the crowd, but it seemed like a legit story. So <laughs> that's, uh, awesome. yeah, that's my number five. And I just want to touch base on one more thing, uh, in regards to Dolly Parton. I know that she completely paved the path for so many amazing female country artists. I mean, when Dolly Parton hit the scene, you know, she was uh, a pioneer essentially. And now there's oh, so no many doubt. amazing artists like uh, Casey Musgraves and Maren Morris and, oh, uh, Maren Morris, man. Oh yeah. They're, they're just incredible. And I think that uh, Dolly Parton had made, has made such a huge influence, not only on, you know, the world with all of her donations and, and everything, but also um, what she's done for country music. So I think that, you know, it'd be a, a disservice to leave her off of this. A hundred percent. Last thing I'll say too is she's seventy five years old and she's still a rocket, man. So oh yeah, she's she's still beautiful as ever. Um, but yeah, that's that's a solid number five for me. So uh, I guess let's go on to your number four. Yes, and along the same lines in terms of their voice, and then when you hear their music, it's just 
incredible. I have Johnny Cash. And okay. Okay. I think I like it. Uh, Walk the Line, that song. Love that song. Uh, Burning Ring of Fire. I think that Johnny Cash, when you listen to his voice and to his music, he just sounds like somebody that's larger than life. Like it, his his voice just sounds so good that it sounds like a voice that you will never hear anything come close to again because it's just that unique and it's just that um, powerful. I, I think that Johnny Cash yeah, is I think, awesome. I think you're exactly right, man. I don't think any there'll ever be another Johnny Cash. Like just the the impact he had, the music he made, like his image. I mean. I, he's not on my my top five list. Surprisingly, he's right there, like an honorable mention. I, I don't know. I I don't see how you can go wrong with that. Like again, like we said at the at the top of this, it's very difficult to narrow it down to five. So I it respect is. that. My um uh, my my number four is is similar or from that same era, I guess, is uh, Merle Haggard. So there you go, Merle Haggard. Um, I actually looked this up before the Rolling Stone magazine last year. I think ranked the top hundred country artists of all time, and and uh, Merle Haggard was number one. But uh, he has so many great songs, man. And like, like I said before, when you asked me about what how I got into country music, like my grandfather hits his biggest, like his most um, listened to, like his favorite artist, I guess, is Merle Haggard. And it's just like I grew up on a lot of that old music, yep. so I love a lot of those songs. And uh, he was a badass too, man. He's got like a bunch of drug charges, and like those guys back in that that time were just like, you know, ripping cocaine and doing all kinds of shit, getting thrown in and out of jail. But yeah. Um, you know he's he's awesome. Some of his songs like "Mama Tried" and and "Oki from Muskogee" fight, um, on the fighting side of me. They're just I still listen to them all the time. So he's he's definitely uh, solidified his spot in my top five. And, there at number four. And I think that's why they were able to make such good music because they have had so many. Um, him and Johnny Cash. Uh, you know they've they've had their troubles, but I think that uh, you know they have so many experiences and so many unique experiences and so many different feelings and things that they've uh, they've gone through that they just you know, right from the heart and right how they're feeling. And that just makes it more powerful than, you know, a lot of country artists that, you know, have, uh, have not experienced those things. So. Yeah. And I don't want to knock on anybody in, in today's age or even I right, guess people right, yeah. back then too, but like the, um, a lot of it now seems a lot like pandering where like, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying some of these guys, maybe they did grow up in the country. They did experience these things, but a lot of it is like, you know, hey, I'm driving my truck. You want to, I'm going to pick my girl up. We're going to get fuel and grab beer at the gas station. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's, it's all just like your typical country stuff, whereas these, you could tell these people had gone through experiences. And in any genre, that's what makes the best music is when the music has an element of truth to it. So, like, you can kind of hear the person is, like, telling their story and it, they paint a picture with the song. That's what's, you know, that's what I really enjoy. Um, uh, yeah, my number, number three, three was Dolly, so we can go, we can go back to Okay. Me. Okay, so number three for me is Brooks and Dunn. Ooh. So, so Brooks and Dunn, I that's think they're... One. They're, I think they're one of the best, uh, definitely the best country duo, I think, of all time. But um, they're they're up there in terms of the top five for sure. Like, I think they should be on anybody's list, but I think they're underrated. I think people kind of forget how good they really are. And if you look at their catalog and the songs they have, um, they've got so many hits, man. They're, like, I put Brooks and Dunn on, on all the time. I had to, uh, I was grateful to see Ronnie Dunn a few years ago. Um, he played at the uh, casino here in town, just like a solo tour. It wasn't with Kix Brooks, um, unfortunately, but you know, his voice, talk about a unique voice, man. He's got like one of the best voices in, in all of music. So uh, they're definitely, you know, definitely solidified again up there in my, my top five, but they're right at number three. Yeah. I, I, I would, uh, I have to mention this story since you, you brought them up. I think that at the time this was in college and we were roommates and living in the townhouse and, 
at the time, I don't even think I realized how big of a country music fan you were. And I don't know if you thought that I was at class or, or what was going on, but um, oh, back, <laughs> back then, I say back then because, you know, we're getting, we're getting up there in age. Uh, yeah, it's been 10 years almost. Yeah, yeah. you didn't have like a, a Bluetooth speaker and all that, but uh, you would take, um, you would take your laptop into the, uh, to the bathroom when you took a shower <laughs> because we didn't have Bluetooth speakers and all that. One day I'm just sitting on the couch downstairs and then I just hear you belting out Neon Moon. <laughs> like what in the world like i didn't even know you liked country let alone knew every word to neon moon and then uh, oh, so dude. obviously neon i had to give you a hard time after that but <laughs> <laughs> well yeah thanks for bringing it up for the podcast man i appreciate that but <laughs> that was probably a dreadful performance uh i probably thought i nailed it though oh but, yeah uh, yeah it was great yeah, yeah i'm sure the neighbors the... loved it they were banging on the wall <laughs> yeah. celebrating <clears throat> that's one of the best songs ever man it's um I remember plenty of times it, it the frosted mug in Morgantown. We put that on the jukebox, and it would be like us four and everybody else in the bars over the age of sixty, and we'd just be like just jamming out to Neon Moon, one of my favorite songs ever. So I couldn't I couldn't possibly leave Brooks and Dunn off the list. Onto my uh, top two, I think that uh, by and before you start that, that's oh, what I mentioned. I, before no, before we got on, I was like. I bet you our top two are going to be the same. Yeah, and it, it sounds like it might not like be in it. the same order. <laughs> might not be in the same order, but it's going to be like those are the two, the two people. Yeah, there's sure. two so, uh, glaring omissions at this point. So my number two is the King George Strait. I mean, um, sixty number ones over all platforms, um, over all billboards, which I read um, beforehand that that is the most sixty. That's a record in any genre, man. That's yeah, in like, any genre, that's more than Michael Jackson. That's more than the Beatles. It's incredible. And, and th- yeah, that's especially incredible considering I feel like a lot of people just don't like country music at all. Um, like I feel like people have – a lot of people have strong feelings about country music. And so um, him being number one across all platforms, yeah, it's just uh, – it speaks volumes to how popular he is and how much um, – you know, how much people love his music and, and, and enjoy it. So yeah, that's my number two. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a solid number two. Obviously, um, I remember I was watching like a, a, I think it was a concert, maybe like his, I, I don't remember what it was. Maybe it's like his retirement right before he retired. They had a big concert, and it was like surprising to see people like Jamie Fox and and uh, you know he was up there singing. He he said like his biggest musical inspiration was George Strait, um, and he would go to try his best to go to George Strait concerts anytime he was in Texas when he was younger. And I was like. I didn't realize the reach that George Strait had um, in terms of like just outside the country world. And like, um, but when you look at that number, that's 60 number one hits. And like I mentioned, that's more than Michael Jackson. That's more than Prince. That's more than the Beatles. That's more than some like Elvis. That's more than some of the biggest names in music history. And I think you have a great point, Troy, where you say like country music kind of gets the, they're like the redheaded stepchild of, of music, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like they, they're like, I think they're the best genre, but like, they aren't really treated the like they're the on the same level as rock or pop or you know what I'm saying. So like it's incredible that you know his and that, that's one thing. It's a it's a testament to country music fans that they're they're as loyal as can be, man. So like they always stick around and the, the community of country music sticks together. So I'm glad that he's got that record. I don't I don't know if that'll ever be touched. And he might have a couple more number ones up his sleeve. Oh yeah, even uh, that's the thing. I mean, his music's timeless because he's still making songs that are so good. Like. I'll just be driving down the road and uh, list a new George Strait song comes on and it sounds like something that he would have made when um, 20 years ago. And yep. 
the fact that he's still making it today and he's still keeping true to himself and uh, making the music that he wants to make rather than going towards, you know, what's popular in country music now, I think it's just, uh, it's just incredible. Yeah. And George Strait, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to do this, but he's number one on my list on uh, people I want to see in concert. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if he'll ever get a chance. I know he, he does periodic shows. He's retired. I think he might do like, he may end up doing like one of those Vegas things, um, residencies, so, but it'd be awesome to go out and see him. But he, uh, so I, I guess for my number two, we flip flopped a little bit. But my number two is Garth Brooks. There you go. Um, so I'm assuming that's your number one. That but, is, yeah. Um, he's an unbelievable entertainer. Uh, he's definitely a pioneer to country music. He pretty much brought it to mainstream. Um, he brought it to like a list celebrity status. He's one of the most awesome guys in the world. Like he would definitely be a guy i would love to just have a cold beer with and just shoot the breeze and talk to him and just talk about his experiences he seems like he, he's the one of the most successful musicians of all time but he's still like super humble he's all about his family um just a great guy not to mention the ridiculous number of sick songs he has and like his is a little bit different than george Strait, which is why i appreciate both of them because he's i mean garth brooks has some slow songs that i like but he has so many like upbeat songs like you know ain't going down till the sun comes up stuff like that um you know papa love mama those songs are great and like he kind of has that when you go to his concert you're getting every dollar you paid worth because you you know he's out there sweating he's running he kind of brought the entertainment value to country music where you know george straits and not not a knock on them but like george straits and the clint blacks and those guys they kind of just stand there and they're so phenomenal at singing they just stand there and sing but he brought like a ton of personality uh to his act right yeah and that's why i have him at number one because i think that and uh i know some people uh and i think this is unfair but i think some people will blame him for the shift in that country music took where it went from you know them being on stage and sitting on a chair and singing uh you know to his performances where you know he had the wireless headset and he's running back and forth jumping up and down with the guitar and and doing all of that and uh you know having flashy light shows at his concerts and uh and all of that that people will sometimes blame him um for how, how yeah, the music is now but i don't man. yeah i don't think that's fair god forbid he be entertaining he's just <laughs> he's finding his own lane i mean like i said there's no knock on the other guys and he really can't help who comes after him or who's inspired by him. Mm-hmm. But anybody with a brain can tell you that Garth Brooks is one of the best, if not the best. Like you mentioned, like he's in my, he's number two for me, but number one for you. Like so, that's probably in just about everybody's category that knows anything about country music. That's going to be their rank one, two, right there. Yep. And, and if it wasn't like you said, if it wasn't for Garth Brooks, man, there might not be a lot of these country artists, and country certainly wouldn't be as big as it is. Oh yeah. Um, today, there's no chance, man. Yep. He, uh, I, I had known this stat, but I just think it's remarkable when you actually hear it. He uh, is the best-selling solo album artist in the United States, with 156 million domestic units sold, ahead of Elvis Presley, and is second only to Beatles in total album sales overall. And, I mean, you learn about Elvis in the history books from a young age, and uh, to know that Garth Brooks has sold more albums than him um, while being in country music, it's just it's just incredible. He's just, uh, yeah, he changed country music forever and got countless hits and his uh, performances on stage. And also, the other thing about Garth Brooks, and I think that he deserves a lot of credit for this, is that he's not afraid to take risks. Um, with his, uh, I, I know that it didn't work out the way that he had planned, but the Chris Gaines, um, when he did that, I, I know it didn't work out, but I think that it took, uh, 
it took huge guts to be able to go out and do that. And uh, most artists, uh, you know, obviously w wouldn't do that, uh, especially, you know, when you were at the stage that he was at. Um, yeah, for the for the listeners that don't know, though, explain that a little bit, like what he did. Yeah, he, he became like a new character. Like he became Chris Gaines and had long hair. And right. yeah, he took on a new genre of music and he put out an album with it. And uh, if you look up Chris Gaines, I mean, it just doesn't look how he doesn't look how Garth typically looks. So he underwent a new uh, persona and a new genre of music. And that I thought was pretty cool. It's just that the music wasn't that great. So it will. Right. Yeah, I think he only did like one album, so it didn't really didn't really stick. Yeah, I mean, hey, more power to him for giving it a try. You know, if, if it's what makes him happy, you see that a lot with uh, musicians. They kind of try to go to uh, go a different route. I mean, you know, not to go back to like rap music or anything, but like two rappers that come to mind, like Lil Wayne, he's was one of the best rappers ever, if not if not the best. And he kind of went like a rock route for a little bit. Or you see like Machine Gun Kelly, who's not even close to. Um, I don't know. We're jumping all over the place with genres here, but like. <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly was more of like, you know, he's a well-known rapper, but now he's like full-blown punk uh, artist, and he's like an actor now. He doesn't really do any rap music, so, hey, I mean, that's the whole point. Like, these people, these guys are creative, and these ladies are creative, that they, they deserve to be able to try what they, they want to try, and if you don't like it, you don't like it, you don't have to listen, but... Right, and the other thing with Garth, uh, where he took chances were with his music videos, like the Thunder Rolls, uh, that caused huge controversy at the time because of the the video and um you know what it depicted as far as yeah it got taken off of uh it was like domestic violence or something right or yeah so it got taken off mm -hmm. of mtv and and uh just think about that like <sighs> today man some of the videos that are on there today like i don't know how many people really still watch music videos but right the shit that flies today on tv compared to like that like back in the 90s is incredible but yeah um, and, and when he uh he went on a lot uh, went out on a limb doing that and he took uh you know, he took criticism with that. But the thing is that he, he stuck with it and he thought that what he, you know, he thought that um, it had powerful messaging and he thought um, that, that what he did was right. And the same thing, and I think that this next song I mentioned is something, um, is a super powerful song, especially in country music, is uh, yeah, no We, you're going we Shall Be Free. <laughs> yeah, that, yep. uh, that song, I mean, I listen to it all the time and I think that it just sends such a powerful message and it, it uh, it, it came out a while ago, but it, it still holds true when you listen to the words. It's sad almost, like it's definitely sad that, I don't know exactly when that song came out, like you mentioned, it's been out for a long time, but how the same issues that he's talking about there are still prevalent today. It's just like kind of yep. a joke that like these are even an issue today. Um, I don't want to dive too deep into it, but I think it's awesome that, you know, Garth Brooks goes out on a limb. He's one mm -hmm. of the main artists that's kind of willing to, main country artists that's kind of willing to rock the boat a little bit. And he has the he has the ability to do so because of who he is, because um, there's maybe some up and coming artists that wouldn't wouldn't do that because they'd be afraid they might not be able to advance their career. But since his stature allows him to do that, but also it's it's great that he uses that. Like he he's a you know he's a huge voice, so he uses it to you know try to do better for the world. Right. So that's one of the things that makes him one of the best artists, period, of all time in my opinion. And I got to point this out. I know I mentioned the. Rolling Stone magazine that ranked Merle Haggard number one when we started this segment, they ranked uh, Garth Brooks number ten, and wow. uh, George Strait number twenty. What? Well, this was this. The Rolling Stone magazine a couple years ago. So I, 
I mean, obviously, like I mentioned before, we were born in 1991. So, like, there was a lot of people on there that I hadn't heard of. Like, you know, I, they had, and I mean, they had, like, Hank Williams in the top ten, which is great. I mean, Hank Williams is awesome. Um, Hank Williams Sr., that is. I like Hank Williams Jr., too, but Hank Williams Sr. was in the top ten. Uh, he might have been number two, actually, behind Merle Haggard. But they had a lot of guys that were, like, and, and a lot of women and families and stuff that sang that I really didn't know who they were. So I don't, I didn't really look into, like, what, I guess – what they used as their criteria to develop the list. Yeah. But I was just surprised that there's no way that George Strait's number 20 you, you out of a hundred. There's 19 <laughs> other people that are better than George Strait. You fucking you can't me? be considered the King and then be at something and then be ranked number 20. I mean, just think yeah. that the logic just doesn't make sense no matter what they were using to, to rank their list. So I want it on record that I disagree with Rolling Stones. Uh, yeah, me too. List. Hey, on behalf of the rambling bruise <laughs> podcast, we disagree wholeheartedly with the Rolling Stone list. <laughs> Um, they'll be devastated and, to hear that <clears throat> yeah i'm sure I'm, I'm sure they won't hear that <laughs> but uh but uh the last thing i wanted to uh touch on here too is a little bit of college basketball um i know before we came on you mentioned so like college basketball is a little bit different this year it's tough with covid and everything um but there is a lot of parody in in the college basketball rankings you know I, like i mentioned i haven't really followed it too much but yeah i did know that like you know, it's weird to me to see Baylor up number two, like Iowa and Houston in the top ten. Mm-hmm. West Virginia, go Mountaineers. I think they're number 14 yes, sir. Uh, currently. So I guess I know you wanted to give your, your final four predictions a little bit, so I think we can do that. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, to touch on uh, college basketball because uh, this is the first year where there are a lot of blue blood programs that are, are really hurting So um, in terms of their the win and loss column. So I think love to that, see it. yeah, it uh, – it, it's finally a year where um, we have a little bit of a uh, an edge on on them. Um, Kentucky, they won today, but they're five and nine. They are looking unless they win the SEC tournament, which they might not even Jesus have. Christ, they're looking five to have nine. five and nine. Yeah, going in today, are they're they running Calipari out of town. Yet? Yeah. Well, you know, he's blaming the youth and the inexperience, uh, even though that's exactly how and he recruits. Yeah, he's blaming yeah. the youth and inexperience, but he recruits <laughs> guys that are going to be one and done and go to the NBA. So. How can you blame the youth when that's exactly how you recruit? So that now, Troy, I might not be the first person that came up with this theory, but is it possible that he? I mean, I know he doesn't like he he does it on purpose because if you get one and done guys, more than likely you have great talent if they're able to one and done to the NBA. Right. But does he? Do you think he kind of tends to do that? So he he almost has like a built-in excuse if it doesn't go well. Oh, I got five starting freshmen. Yeah, I think that him and him and Coach K. Uh, both do because Coach K does the same thing. Like, oh, we're young, he's the biggest we're poser of them all, man. Coach, yeah, Coach K was always the you should stay in school, blah blah. blah. <laughs> and then he started getting dummied every year by these teams that would take the one and done guys. And now he's all of a sudden, I not to pivot off of your final four predictions, but I saw a video of him earlier, you know, flipping out on some student reporter that asked him a question. He's a I, I can't stand that guy. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't want to go on a rant about him, but he's a prick. <laughs> I, I I didn't think that it uh, the way. I mean, that, it, from the sounds of that interview, I heard the same interview, it sounded like that kid was a student, right? Because he was saying, um, do you, when you leave your uh, toughest class or econ class, like how, how would you feel if I, I was asking you that? I think that's fair. I mean, this is a college kid that's interviewing probably someone that he idolizes considering he goes to Duke, he's in journalism, and he's interviewing a Duke legend. So I didn't think that the way that he had uh, answered that question I think that I'm sure that hurt that kid's feelings, which 
Uh, yeah, I just I mean, didn't find on, appropriate. Coach K, like <clears throat> the kid's a student. Like, and, and hey, you, you play the game. Like he's he's free to ask his question. You can answer it. You cannot answer it. You don't have to be. You don't have to try to equate him asking you a basketball question to like, oh, if you you know you take an econ exam, how do you feel if somebody put a microphone in your face yeah, as soon as you go to that class? That's and not say, his what's job. Your next move? Well, that's not relevant. <laughs> yeah, that's not the kid's. That's job. never going to happen. Nobody fucking cares about your econ exam. But your job, and it has been for. 40 years or however long you've been coaching, you should know better. It, um, he's just butt hurt because his team's bad this year. Yeah, and I, I saw like earlier in the season, he was saying like, we should, um, you know, oh, we shouldn't be playing blah, 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 blah. Cause of COVID only cause his team was losing. If his team was like 10 to no, he'd be like, well, we need to keep going. We need to keep going. We need to play. Oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. exactly. He's, he's been, a, uh, can't stand. There, <laughs> there was a tweet that had basically called him out for that because over the summer he was saying how much we needed the season. And then, they lost a few games, and he's like, I don't even know if we should be playing. And and right now, uh, Duke is sitting at five and five. Uh, they are looking like they won't be a tournament team unless um, things change significantly for them because they are losing to teams that uh, they shouldn't be losing to. Um, for example, uh, today they lost to Louisville, I believe. Um, and then on earlier in the week, they they lost to a rebuilding Pitt team that. Uh, Pitt today lost to an 0 and 6 Wake Forest. So when you're at Duke and you Yikes. have all four and five stars, uh, you just can't be dropping games like uh, to to Pitt. And I'm not saying that to knock Pitt or anything, but Pitt is. I mean, they're still rebuilding. Um, they're they're still um, rebuilding since uh, since Capel took over. So uh, yeah, they're five and five. Kansas. Uh, this is probably one of their uh, weaker. I mean, it's still they're still decent, but uh, it's probably one of Kansas's weaker teams. Um, North Carolina isn't great. They're not ranked. So yeah, to see Kentucky, Duke, um, UNC to an extent, um, to see them all having down seasons kind of makes uh, college basketball exciting. Whereas, uh, in college football every year, it seems like we're getting Alabama, Clemson and Ohio state year after year after year. And it feels like no one else really has a chance if you're outside of the top four or five teams heading into the year. Um, whereas basketball, you know, anything could happen, uh, especially in a year like this. Yeah, agreed. I mean, like some of these teams that are in this top 10, or I mean, in the top 25, I should say, I'm looking at like Creighton's number 11. They've always been a darling in the tournament. They usually have a, a decent uh, team that maybe wins one or two games or gets to the Sweet 16, mm-hmm. but probably don't have a real chance to win the national championship. Yeah. Um, and like Illinois, and like you see Connecticut, like you mentioned Blue Blood programs, Connecticut, UConn, they're down there at 23. UCLA, who really UCLA hasn't been really any good uh, since John Wooden, right? Like, I mean, they were dominant, but they were like one of the most prestigious programs. And, um, you know, they haven't really done much in the last 20, 30 years, which is hard hard to imagine. But Alabama is number 18, which is pretty crazy. They're good, dude. Um, they made uh, like 20-something threes the other night. They are a legit team this year they can shoot the heck out of the ball so i guess with that being said like oh yeah my final uh, four yeah your final four predictions i want to hear this because i'm going to hold you to it yeah hold me to it uh if you're right we might (laughs) you might be honest hopefully i I might i might take these picks and make a little uh wager here on Fanduel. i think that uh well i I never want to put in a uh a disclaimer but this year is so wild um actually one of the teams in my top four i'll just give them uh so i have baylor um, they're just their defense is just incredible. Uh, their offense is good. It's not great, uh, but they have Jared Butler. He's going to be a future first rounder. Um, the kid, the kid's incredible. Uh, Baylor's just their their defense. I mean, 
they'll just hold you to droughts where it just looks like you wouldn't be able to buy a bucket. So I think that uh, Baylor is, is set for the final four because of how good their defense is. Um, and then the second team I have to say, and this is just going to, everyone's going to be like, yeah, obviously is Gonzaga. And it's just because they just, I mean, positions one through five, they have no weakness. Uh, um, one of their guards is going to be a top five picks, uh, Jalen Suggs. He's going to be uh, probably one or two overall with uh, him with Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State. Um, he's just the beast. And uh, Drew Timmy on the inside, he's he's good. So I have Baylor Gonzaga, which probably everybody has. But my third pick is going to be Michigan. Uh, but I just got a text. This is breaking news woo, woo, for everyone that is listening, even though this won't be breaking news by the time this plays, I guess. But you heard it here. <laughs> first yeah credit credit Troy, credit man. me you heard it here I better first. see some credits on twitter um <laughs> i don't i don't care if you've heard it before this airs you still heard it here first michigan is shut down for two weeks due to the coronavirus so i have michigan in my top four but that could change things because uh for example clemson had was ranked and looking really good and then they had coronavirus and were shut down and in their two games since coming back I didn't see what the final score was today, but at one point they were down 35 points to, uh, was it Florida State? Yeah, I believe it was Florida State. They were down like 35 points, and then their other loss uh, a couple nights ago, they were also uh, they also ended up losing by like 36. So I think that uh, when when teams have it, it's hard to say how they'll rebound and hard to see like hard to say how quickly they'll get back into shape. So um, who knows who all this will affect for Michigan? Maybe if they have any guys that are planning on going to the NBA, they might just uh, shut their season down out of precautions. But uh, I'm, I'm going to stick with Michigan. Um, and then my last one, and yeah, everyone's going to say it's a homer pick, but I have West Virginia. Um, the reason is because I think that we have two NBA players, um, Deuce McBride, Miles McBride. He's, uh, he's going to be an NBA player. Uh, he is one of the few players that you still see in college basketball that can take a mid-range uh, jump shot and you have confidence when he shoots it. A lot of times you're like, no, 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 because what they say mid range <laughs> uh, shot is the worst shot in the game. Uh, so we have him and Derek Culver. Like who um, says that? I don't the... understand that. Like that's one thing people in the NBA can't do. Like there, there's not many people, I guess that that's kind of the forgotten art is the mid range. Right. Yeah. And I mean, everyone falls in love with the three. And uh, the good thing is he's last I checked, he was shooting uh, over 40% from three. He has a mid-range game, and then his one-on-one defense, damn good. not as good as Carter's, uh, but he can stay in front of anybody in the country. So, um, And you got Bobby Huggins, man. And you got Bob Huggins, they, yes. They got a chance. They always got a chance. I like that pick. I yep, like that final you. four. I might, Like I said, I might put a little wager on it. It might be a question mark with Michigan, but uh, I think they'll get that all sorted out. Maybe yeah. they, they don't play as many games, but they're, you know, hey, they, they're going to get in the tournament, obviously, and then anything can happen in the tournament. So they'll, I'm sure they'll make sure – if they have to delay it or, or whatever the case is for the tournament, they'll make sure that they can get everybody in there and that all the teams that qualify will be able to play. I just right. hope there isn't something that comes up where, you know, you're in the Sweet 16 and then a, a team gets a, a COVID outbreak or something. Then, like, what is what do they do? Well, I'd be interested to see how they handle that. That's what uh, people are worried about because um, with Coach K because the Duke women's team shut their season down. And if Duke keeps losing, people are like, uh, Coach K is just going to shut the season down. Like, Just be ready for it. Like because you know the NCAA will always listen to Coach K because he's a, he's a legend. But uh, yeah, hopefully that um, you know everyone's able to stay and the healthy. The NCAA and... is not usually known to make good decisions. What's so. that? 
I said the NCAA is not usually known to make good decisions. So like, <laughs> yeah, they, they might do something stupid. But right. Yeah. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah. I just hope that, uh, yeah, everyone stays safe. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's, uh, health and everything's the, the most important, but I trust with, uh, everything and all the protocols in place, uh, that, uh, everything goes well. And, uh, we get an NCAA tournament because, uh, the NCAA tournament is super important for a lot of programs, uh, for their budget and for their income. And they need the tournament to happen. Um, to be able to survive. So if we don't have a tournament this year, um, whereas, you know, um, that, that might be best for the health of everyone, but that would also really, really hurt a lot of programs. So just hoping that, uh, yeah, it would hurt a lot of programs, like you said, and it's also one of the best sporting events ever to watch, especially opening weekend. It's so much fun. There's games on all day. And like, you know, especially if you're gambling a little bit, it's obviously fun (laughs) or you got a bracket going, um, but it's just a blast. And we missed out on that last year. So hopefully that doesn't happen, but Hey man, this was this was a blast. I think people are really going to enjoy this. Troy, there's a lot of insight, a lot of um, information with the the grilling and, and the smoking and stuff that I think because I've I've had people reaching out to me asking me questions about mm-hmm. that. I'm not sure why they're asking me, <laughs> but people are asking me. Uh, so I think people really enjoy that. And in the the top five country artists, uh, I think will, will get some people talking because um, <laughs> you know we had similar lists, but. It's definitely like we said. It's very difficult to uh, to put them all in a top five list. So hey, right. I appreciate the hell out of you coming on, man. And this dogfish head beer, I'm gonna keep drinking this. I might I might put this like I mentioned in the rotation. I'm glad I might put it in. So. I'm glad you like it. And and before I go, I just have to give you credit because, um, oh, I mean I've been invited to dozens and dozens of podcasts. So, um, no, just <laughs> kidding. I, I've never been on a podcast recorded for something like this and uh i have all these notes written out and i had this like game plan going into it of everything i was going to say and then you just get in the moment and it's like you know your your brain just freezes up so i have to give you a lot of credit because what you do it's super impressive that uh you know i've listened to your first two then i think what you're doing is really cool yeah man appreciate it thank you so much and uh i'm having a blast doing it and and glad to have you on we're definitely going to have you back man it's going to be awesome so uh appreciate it thank you What a great interview. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Um, I want to thank Troy for coming on again. It was great. It was a blast. It was very informative. Um, it was super entertaining because I haven't heard a lot of interviews or podcasts about people talking about grilling or smoking meats, techniques, things like that. Um, I just haven't seen a lot of that. So uh, like I said at the beginning on episode one, I want this to be a podcast where we can talk about things other than hockey or other than football and sports and just try to interest as many people as possible and try to just have let everybody have a good time. I mean, that's what we're here to do. We're here to laugh. We're here to joke and debate um, and just have a good time and drink some cold beers. So with that being said, I think you could probably smoke an entire brisket in the amount of time it took me to watch this Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring movie, the first one. But all in all, I'd say I enjoyed it. I did make the smart choice of watching it with subtitles. Now, some people might question that, but I never really thought about doing that with subtitles. I always thought if you put subtitles on, then all you do is focus on the words on the screen. But that's not really the case. It actually helps me understand more. I started doing it uh, when I watched Peaky Blinders last year. And I don't know if I'm getting older or what. I'm turning 30 here in a couple of days. But it just makes it a lot easier for me to follow because you don't really know what they're saying sometimes. And um, especially with like the different dialects in this movie. Um, so... I thought that that enhanced the experience a lot, but overall I did enjoy it. I think people will be surprised by that. Um, I did have a couple notes, you know, like there were a lot of characters. I think it's one of these movies. A lot of these movies are probably like this, but it's one of those movies where at first it's very tough to differentiate who's who and try to learn all the names. Um, and I know on the last episode, Ray mentioned that that's, that's probably going to happen. So it might be something that would benefit me to watch it a couple of times, but um, you know, I, 
I think as you go, like you, you continue watching the movie, this happens a lot. If you get like 20, 30 minutes into the movie, you see the same character again, then you kind of start to, okay, this is who that is. This is who this is. And, and you kind of go from there. Um, I did want to know too, that Gandalf, um, the wizard, I believe he's a wizard. He had a sick pipe, like a, a massive pipe. I mean, this thing was like a foot long. He was smoking out of, um, it was awesome. A complete boss move. Um, the special effects. So I know this movie is about 20 years old. Um, it's just hard to imagine how far movies have come in that short amount of time. I can't imagine like growing up in like the sixties or fifties and watching movies. That's probably why I'll never go back and watch like star Wars and the original ones, because the special effects are probably just friggin' horrible. Um, and no knock on them. I mean, they had to use what they had at the time, but like nowadays with all the, everything they can do with CGI and the computer and stuff like that. Um, it was just incredible. But I thought in this movie, the special effects were a little bit uh, tough. They weren't, they weren't the best, um, Sue me, I guess, for that take, but uh, I thought it was funny, too. Uh, Pippin and Mary, these two brothers, these two little ornery motherfuckers, man, they were just, like, doing all this stupid shit. Every time in the movie, they would be do, they'd do something stupid to attract the, the guys that were trying to kill them or the guys they were trying to get away from or something to trip up their mission. Um, and it was funny, too, at the beginning. It, it ties into the lack, my lack of an imagination, but they lit off a firecracker by accident somehow at Bilbo Baggins. Uh, Bilbo Baggins is, like, the the main character, like one of the main characters, um, at his like, whatever, 112th, or I'm not sure if I got the right number, but his birthday celebration. And then all of a sudden it's like a flying dragon that comes out of this, um, this firecracker. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I see, that's, that's where they lose me. Like that stuff, like that stuff could just never happen. It's not realistic. It's like, and I know it's not my, again, it's not my type of movie or my favorite movie to, you know, genre to watch. It's like more fantasy stuff like that. But like most of this stuff is just, is just BS. Like this can't happen. So it's very hard to, uh, to really get into it. Um, so like, I didn't like that part. Um, I did like the story that Bilbo uh, gave the ring to Frodo so that he could take the ring to get destroyed. I think initially my wife really helped me out with this. This was, I think the second or third time she's seen it. But at first I wasn't sure like how or why Bilbo Baggins had to get rid of the, the ring in the first place. Like, I guess it was to to be to, to get destroyed, but, I mean, this guy, I mean, he had it all, right? He could put the ring on, and he could disappear. Uh, he never aged. He could live forever. Everybody loved this guy. Um, but I know, I guess, my wife was telling me, and the more I watched it, eventually you become uh, overtaken, I guess, by the bad guy that wants the ring, and you become a, you turn heel, essentially, and you become a bad, a bad person. So he didn't want that. He wanted to give it to Frodo, and he knew Frodo would be the one that could get it destroyed. Um... So you, you just didn't want to let that ring get in the wrong hands. Um, and when you put it on, the other thing is like when he, whenever Bilbo or whoever, even um, Frodo, when they put it on, then the uh, the villain in the movie could find out where they're at and, and come after them. So I thought it was definitely an interesting story. Um, one thing, another thing too, like with the, the special effects and I guess the scenes of the movie, um, at the end, when they're in that cave, I guess they're like trying to get through the cave to be able to... to um, get over to Mordor, I guess, towards the end, you know, they're trying to get through the cave and they have all these certain obstacles and the most predictable movie scene of all time. I knew this was coming before it even got, got even close to happening is like the, the rocks start falling away from that piece and they got to jump to the other side so they can make sure they, uh, keep up with the group and they can continue on the mission to, to return the ring. And like, as soon as it started happening, I looked at my wife and I was like, hey, this thing's going to just teeter and teeter. It's going to be so much suspense. And you you know, if you have a brain that this thing's not really going to fall over, you know, it's going to fall the right way and he's going to be able to easily get to the uh, the other side. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, it's predictable. Um, I just thought that was funny. Like it, it didn't seem like it was, there was any suspense to me at all um, that 
Frodo or anybody was really going to get hurt. Um, and then shortly thereafter, Gandalf, I mean, he gets like, he, he, he's like hanging on for dear life on the side of this rock, like going to fall into the cliff or over the cliff. And nobody helped him. Like they just watched him die. I mean, I know like he can't, Frodo can't use the ring for these kinds of things, but the guy has a magical ring that can do just about anything. And the, all he could muster up was, no, as Gandalf just falls off the cliff. I mean, I thought that was just like, what the fuck? Like, uh, so uh, I didn't I didn't particularly care for that scene. I just thought, like, why would nobody help him? That just seemed very odd to me. I mean, he might very well still fall. And I know it's a movie, but, I mean, Frodo acted like, you know, his father figure, his dad, his best friend died. But nobody tried to help the guy and prevent him from doing that, so... Um, yeah, I just thought that was crazy. And the last two things I had too is, um, in these fight scenes, which these fight scenes I thought were pretty awesome. Um, they were really cool to watch. It was interesting because like these bad guys, I'm not sure exactly what they're called. I'm sure somebody will chirp me or hopefully somebody will text me or tweet me and let me know or I can look it up after this. Um, I'm not sure what the bad guys were called. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like they would corner in, there'd be like five or six of them against the four guys like Frodo and, and the, and the crew there and with Sam and everybody. And somehow they couldn't kill him. I'm like, I don't understand. Like the, half these guys, like Frodo and them, ha half of them aren't even armed. So I don't know how they couldn't kill him. I just thought that was unre unrealistic. Uh, maybe they're just idiots. I'm not sure. Um, but the other thing too, like I said, the, the fight scenes were awesome, but there was like no blood. The, has anybody noticed that? Let's watch these movies. The only real time, really time I saw any blood was at the end when there was like the one guy uh, chopped off the other guy's head and there was a little bit of blood, but they were getting stabbed. I mean, they're they're dumbing each other with swords. They're slicing each other and all this. And I didn't really see any blood. I thought it was interesting that, like, I was like, is this... I, it may be a question if the movie was rated R. I really don't know. I'd love for somebody to tell me. Um, but that that just seemed odd to me. I thought, like, all these fight scenes and, like, they're stabbing each other and they're fighting to the death and all this stuff. And there's, like, very little blood. Um, so I didn't particularly care for that. I thought that was a little bit odd. Um, and last thing, like... Frodo and Sam, they get through the cave and they and then they they show the screen and you can see Mordor when they're going to go and they're going to destroy the ring, right? So I'm pumped. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Credits. Credits come up. And I look at Sarah and my first words were, are you fucking kidding me? So I come to find out later that, um, and my neighbor, shout out to uh, Jordan, uh, listen to the two beers podcast. If you can, he's the host of that. But my, my neighbor, Jordan, who's a big Lord of the Rings fan, he, he, uh, tells me, he's like, Oh yeah, they shot those movies all in, in one at one time. So they shot like the first one, the second one, the third one, they shot it all at one time. So they can make sure that I guess none of the older characters, uh, look different or potentially died or, um, you know, Elijah Wood, um, or Orlando Bloom or any of the characters that are in it would look older and stuff like that. So, I guess that makes sense. They want to leave you on a cliff, uh, have the cliffhanger so you come back and watch the second movie. But I was like, I was so pumped to watch the ending. I was like, oh man, he's really going to destroy this ring. And it, like stupid ass myself, I was like, well, I probably should have known that they're going to try to continue the story for the next two movies. But I've kind of find myself found myself getting into it a little bit there. And, um, you know, I was just a little bit like, oh, come on, man. That's the worst. And that's probably what they want you to do. They want you to be interested in the in the uh, second and third movies. I'm not sure that's going to happen for me. Um, I may watch the next two movies. Uh, again, like, it's just not my cup of tea. I thought Elijah Wood and Orlando Bloom and all the other actors, I thought the acting was great. Um, you know, and it's an interesting story, but again, just like fantasy land stuff that's just not for me. I'm glad I watched it. I gave it a chance. Um, I never thought I would do that. So I hope anybody that, uh, 
you know, is looking forward to the review, understands my review. If you disagree, that's fine. We can always talk about it. Um, you know, but I, I don't think I'll be, uh, I don't think I'll be watching the next two and I certainly won't be watching the next two, um, and reviewing them on the podcast. So, um, I'm glad I watched it again and, you know, Hey, more power to people that like the, uh, like the Lord of the Rings and like those fantasy movies, you know, more power to you. It's not my cup of tea. On that note, I'm going to take a Coors Light sip. I do have to give a disclaimer, though, that for the movie, I did not watch the entire movie in one sitting. I couldn't possibly do that. I had a bunch of Coors Lights. I had to do that. We had some pizza, some food, some snacks. So I think that overall ambiance enhanced the movie for me. Um, I watched the first, I think, hour and 40 minutes one night, and then I watched the remaining part of the movie the next day. Uh, again, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to get through it, um, you know, without the beer and without the, without being able to split it up. But, um, and with that being said, I hope everybody enjoyed the interview, uh, with Troy. It was a great time. I want to thank him again for coming on. I hope everybody enjoyed the Lord of the Rings review. Um, I'd love for people to reach out to me with their, their reviews and their questions, um, and their rebuttals to some of my points. Um, again, if you have any types of beers that you want me to try, I'm open uh, to trying any kind of beer. So please let me know, and I'll try it, and I'll give it the uh, the Morel Meter rating on this podcast. And may you guys have a great week. May the beers you're drinking stay ice cold. And remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around here. Out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make a living Barely getting by It's all taking and no giving They just use your mind Shit.